Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Michael here alongside our producer, Josh, who works hard to make this sound good for us every week. And I got Clark here. Making Clark sound good is really a challenge. It really is, Michael. (laughs) Nothing like you and Garland. Josh does miracles back here. (laughs) Man, Clark, you and I have been excited really since last fall looking ahead to what we would be engaging beginning this week, which is the book of Ephesians. Yeah, it's going to be such a good study together over these. We've got 11 weeks in this, don't we? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm super excited about this. And, um, you know, there's only so much that we can cover in a 30-minute teaching um, in some of these passages. And so as we're trying to do in sermon notes, we're trying to give you maybe a few things that are left on the cutting floor Yeah. um, as we prepare our sermons. And so, um, Michael, I thought it'd be good just to, as we set up... um, the letter and uh, that Paul wrote to those who were in Ephesus. Let's just let's cover a little bit of background information. It's the same information that that you would look at if you were studying First or Second Timothy, as mm-hmm. Timothy was a pastor here in Ephesus, right? Um, but let's unpack a little bit about what's going on in Ephesus, the city itself, um, just the context of those who are living in Ephesus, what's going on around them, those kind of things. Yeah. So one thing for us to keep in mind, Ephesus is it's in Asia. And so That's right. um, the gospel is spreading um, from, from the original church in Jerusalem, of course, Antioch, ascending church there in Syria. And this church has been planted in what's now modern-day Turkey. Yeah, it made itself up um, north and then took a hard left and moved uh, westward. Right. And so it was where the gospel has found itself. And so, yeah, modern-day Turkey and um, a port city. And so, uh, most likely, a pretty intense area of trade and um, the economy that would run through there, um, the different ethnic groups that would make their way through there. Um, it's a pretty cosmopolitan space, and some have said that you know it's the maybe the second most important city um, at the time in the Roman Empire. Yeah, um, for a lot of reasons. And then one thing we talked about extensively in First Timothy, but it's worth. Um, revisiting here is it was a center of idol worship, specifically uh, this Greek goddess Artemis uh, or Diana. And um, her temple there was one of those seven wonders of the ancient world. It dominated the place. Yeah. And, and just the, the atmosphere of that, you know, there's, it's a, it's a physical expression of some of the dark powers that Paul will address some in this letter. Um, that govern the unseen spaces that Jesus is actually sovereign over. Mm. Um, and so we're going to be navigating that later um, in the letter. But um, yeah, just the atmosphere and what would go on as they would worship Artemis. Um, uh, it it was a disruption in the economy even at one point. If, if people want to write down Acts 19, there was a riot that broke out. And um, the economy was disrupted as people were repenting from Artemis worship. And it was hurting businesses who were creating shrines and uh, graven images of her. And so um, likely a hyper-sexualized culture. And Paul's bringing a new sexual ethic uh, to the table in this letter as well as he unpacks what marriage looks like as you walk with Jesus. And so that's going to be interesting too. And so... Any anything else background related to Ephesus you would note, Michael? Man, I would just I think 
and we've we've kind of hit on this, but um, man, it was just a key city for this whole region of the Roman Empire. And um, yes, Paul does say to the saints who are in Ephesus in his intro in, in chapter one, verse one, but um, I think we all agree this was a letter that was meant to be passed around to the churches in the region, and Ephesus would right. continue to be um, an important city, not just for Rome, but for the church and for the spread of the gospel. And so, yeah. um, Paul, he, you know, he has the Ephesian elders meet him when he's journeying back to Jerusalem. Ephesus is mentioned as one of the seven churches in Revelation. That's so it's right. just a key, it's a key city, a key church, and um, yeah, both John and Timothy. Right, live there. Right, and um, so yeah, key people in the early church uh, found a home there. So as we start thinking about this letter that we're going to study over the next few weeks, Clark, what are some of the big themes that we'll be looking for as we work our way through it? Yeah, I think um, you know one that stands out, and we'll get into here in a few minutes. Uh, initially, is just identity, and he seems to affirm their identity being rooted in Christ, and so. Um, you know, he comes right out of the gate, making sure that they understand um, who Jesus is and what he's accomplished on their behalf. And if they identify as his follower, these things are true of them. And then that should invade every space of their life. And we see that um, in different spaces in uh, chapters four to six. Um, uh, I'm going to talk quite a bit about God's sovereignty um, as he is above and over, yet fully engaged in his church. And, um, and so we'll get into some of that and some of the languages he works. He's got a plan for the church and uh, to bring all things under the authority of Jesus Christ. It's the same kind of language that's used um, in uh, Philippians 2. Uh, when you, we have the expectation that one day every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you have a little bit of that language here. Um, we also have, Michael, in Ephesians um, what the church is and what the church is supposed to be about, who um, who makes up the church. And I think it speaks to the unity that Paul wants uh, between ethnic groups um, that we'll see in chapters two and three, specifically, as God has bought, brought both Jew and Gentile together, and together they make up this new thing called the church. And in this church, the Holy Spirit now dwells in them as believers. That's a new concept. Right. As believers are now the temple of God. And so um, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and demographics are being brought together in one. They're having to learn how to get along together. And, um, and so that sovereignty, that identity, that unity idea, I think, is in play. And... Um, and then he begins to address themes inside the family, like we mentioned marriage. He has some parenting input. He also addresses um, uh, kind of past lifestyle issues, specific sins that he was trying to get them to repent of. And if they were going to walk in newness of life in Christ, they're going to have to put aside some of these behaviors and put on new behaviors. And so... I like to think that he's bringing unity to our talk and our walk a little bit, saying, hey, if you're going to be this new thing we call the church in a dark culture, you're going to look different. Right. Yeah. And um, and then we have maybe one of the coolest is probably the wrong word or phrase to use, <laughs> but at the very end, we've got this warfare passage, 
And he reminds us of this um, this war, then this battle that we're in, these in this unseen space, but it's real to us spiritually. And the weapons that we use in this war, they're not physical weapons. They're weapons that he's equipped us with, with his word, with his spirit, with our faith, things like prayer and things like that. And so um, I think that's going to be an incredibly helpful passage for us yeah. as we consider how to apply this letter in our current context here in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, man, as so, you were just talking through those themes, they all sound so relevant they are to yeah. our culture and to me personally, just to be reminded of God's sovereignty, of our need for unity, That's right. um, all, all those things that you just walk through, um, those different spaces in life. I am married, and I am a parent, and, yeah. and, and I am part of a church body. And, and so, I do struggle with my mouth and my tongue, and I need help in that space. And yeah. I need God to bring some some hope in the gospel and unity to that in my life as well. Yeah, same yeah. here. Hey, before we get into the sort of the this week's passage, which is Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, I just want to remind our listeners um, we have a great resource in this Ephesians study guide. Um, it's available for free online. You can grab the PDF just by going to the digital resources page for Ephesians. Um, if you have trouble finding that, let us know. We can send you a link. Um, or you can pick up the actual physical book, which is what I'm using, and um, it's just going to guide our study week by week, help us make good observations in the passage. It's going to help us ask good questions. It's going to introduce us to some themes. And um, not coincidentally, it's beautiful to look at. Man, the work that our media team yeah. has done on this thing is amazing. And so I just want to encourage you. That's a great way to get a lot more out of this study. Like Clark said, there's so much more than we can cover. Even if you take the 30 minutes of the sermon and add the the 15 to 20 minutes of the podcast, um, man, your own personal study will be so much more enriching. So I just want to encourage everybody, um, if you're... Um, if you're interested enough in this to listen to this podcast, do yourself a favor and get the book. It will yeah. take your personal study to the next level. So with all that said, Clark, um, what are some things that we're going to be looking for here in this opening? A um, couple of really long sentences in the Greek, but the opening yeah. 14 verses of this book. Yeah, it's been incredibly rich. And just as a teaser, I think we shared this with our leaders the other day. We're actually going to ask... Um, you as our church to memorize uh, verses 3 to 14. And so um, who God says we are is the most important thing about us. And so we need to think that and believe it. And then because we think it and believe it and to live it outside of our mind and our heart. And so um, much of what you're going to get in this first section is identity. There's probably 10 to 12 identity statements that, Michael, that, that we have um, not just as part of the collective church, but as individuals, we have these blessings granted yeah. to us in Christ. And so they're part of our inheritance box, if you will. And if you were given a box of of things from a grandfather and they were your inheritance, Michael, what are those things in here? And so we've been given this box that has these inheritance items in them and they're only found in Christ. And so I know for me personally, in my own insecurities, uh, that's one of the things we're going to look at in this passage is identity. Yeah. Who we are and who does God say we are. And based on that, how does that change the way we act and see ourselves? 
And looking down through these verses, what I see over and over is in him, in Christ, in him, in him. It's like Paul's just ringing this bell over and over. Our identity is in Christ. That's right. Yeah, it's so good. And um, and if you just take each one one at a time and unpack what they mean, it's just so loaded. You have a, it's it's a mix of ecclesiology, how we see ourselves as a church, um, with theology, how do we view God, and um, you know just anthropology, how do we see ourselves as humankind or as mankind. And so you have to wrestle with all those things. And he, in verse one, he actually says, to God's holy people in Ephesus. And it makes me think of that phrase, elect exiles in First Peter. Um, two things that seem to be in conflict, but make up who you are in this world. He says, you're God's holy people, those in Ephesus. Holy means set apart for a, a noble or purposeful use, but you're in a dark city called Ephesus. So right out of the gate, he addresses identity. Mm-hmm. He goes, God's got you set apart for his purposes in this city at this time and place. And because that's true, what does that mean? And then he starts to walk us through that. So identity is big. And you also get the sense, Michael, I think I used the word sovereignty earlier. Um, there's this in accordance phrase that's used twice and then according to, and it's connected to his good pleasure and will. And it feels as though God, and Paul's acknowledging this, has this, this master plan that he's doing in and through the church to make himself famous, um, to breathe life into the church, and to keep them on mission, and to move them towards a point in history where, like we mentioned earlier, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, And I don't know about you, Michael, but... I need that when I wake up more than ever right now. Right. That there is a God. He's a covenant, faithful God. Um, He keeps his promises. And this thing is going somewhere. Yeah. And even though in in the midst of our pain and our own trials that we're in right now and the things we struggle with and the headlines and the brokenness in the world, God is still working this plan to make all things right and to restore things. Take us back to Eden in some sense, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. And so man, just the picture he paints in verse 10 in the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Which is the peak of this this sentence, if you will. Right. It kind of it goes to that peak and you sit there and then he unpacks it a little more and helps us understand who the Holy Spirit is. So yeah, there's a unifying thing. And he says all things. And so I think the word, uh, I think we were joking with Garland the other day, um, cosmic redemption mm-hmm. or cosmic restoration, right. cosmic reconciliation, those big words. Um, there's something bigger than us going on. And it's very personal for us if we know Christ as individuals in his church. And that's why these identity statements matter. But it's so much bigger than us. Um, I may mention this um, in the teaching, but it's so fresh right now because last night, just before we recorded this podcast, um, I was restless all night. I was waking up about every 30 to 40 minutes, and I had words from this passage um, popping into my head. And it was almost like uh, 
in, in my dreams, I kept wrestling with God, these identity statements in my own mind. And um, there's a statement at the end of four, and he moves into verse five here of chapter one. It says, in love, he predestined us um, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And I had this statement hit me. This is probably about 4.15 this morning. I'm going to not be good for anybody later on today. <laughs> but um, that I feel more loved than ever by God, and yet more than ever, this is not about me. And so there's this collision of ideas that I feel in- incredibly treasured and special and loved by him but I've never felt more like, hey, God, I've got to give the rest of my life to your glory being manifested. They seem like two opposite ideas. Right. But that's a great spot to be in. Mm-hmm. This is not about me. And yet he's made it about me inside this community that we call the church. Yeah. Um, so that I could reflect it back to him. And so obviously there's a lot more there, but um, so that identity bumps into sovereignty a little bit there. And then, um, and then, yeah, just that bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth. And I think, Michael, one thing that we'll see as we work through this book is just as God unifies all peoples together, um, he's making a statement here that there's no place for partiality based on ethnicity for them between Jew and Gentile. Right. There were religious things going on there too. Um, but a lot of different social demographics and different ethnicity demographics were actually in this thing called the church. And they were in community group together, if you will, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. having to figure out how to get along with each right. other. Sure. And so there's a unifying nature to that. And then, you know, we can probably move towards an end with this, but um, you've got some incredible in just two verses. Um, you've got the outworking of Jesus's Holy Spirit doctrine in John 14, 15, and 16 being played out in 13 and 14 of chapter one here. It's some amazing phrases. Um, When you believe you were marked in him with a seal, who is not an it, it's a person, Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's a deposit that guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, which is another identity statement to the praise of his glory. And so um, the Holy Spirit plays a key role yeah. in this book. And um, we'll see, and I'll note this on Sunday, but even these first 14 verses are incredibly Trinitarian in nature. And so you see the the fullness of who God is, is God the Father, God the Son, and his work and redemption, and the application of that work of redemption through the work of the Spirit. And so it's going to be a a theological um, book, but it's also going to be an incredibly practical book. And I think every week someone will be able to walk away and go, okay, God, because of who you are, what do I need to change and let the Holy Spirit transform me from the inside out in? Yeah. Yeah, and so man, that's powerful. It's gonna be. We're all gonna be up for that. Staff, leaders, first time people at fellowship, new Christians, people that maybe aren't in Christ that are gonna try to figure out who He is in this process. Yeah, there's something for everybody here. Yeah. So, any other parting words, Michael? Man, um, just 
I wanted to ask you, actually, I just don't want to let you off the hook um, as we've got these mics in front of us. Yeah. What are some of the the problem things or what what oh. are people going to be challenged yeah. <laughs> by in this in this passage as people study this yeah. on their own what are some of the questions the hard questions that this this uh, first part of Ephesians brings up yeah that's so good Michael um, I was in um, my small group with some men this morning and those questions came up and so the first ones were in in two different um, parts of this passage you have the words chosen and predestined use right. And so I think um, I think that's going to be something that we'll need to wrestle through as well. And again, I think it's something that'll be difficult to do in a Sunday morning only context. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, if those that are listening, you might make note a few of these references because I think it's important when we talk about these concepts. You have to consider the whole of Scripture um, as part of the context, and let Scripture help us interpret Scripture. And so we we read Deuteronomy chapter seven uh, verses six through nine this morning as an understanding as God's favor and love that He showed to Israel as He chose Israel to be His people and set them apart for use outside of the pagan peoples around them, and um, and then it says He did it because He was a promise keeper and because He loved them, and there were no other reasons. It's just out of His love for them and out of his faithfulness to his own promise to set them apart. You have the same kind of language that's being used here um, for both Jew and Gentile coming together in the church. And so um, I think that's uh, those phrases are tricky to understand. Like a first Peter um, chapter one, you have elect exile that's used. Um, uh, the last half of Romans chapter eight, you have to work through some of these terms as well. So those are places you would note that. Yeah. Um, and then Jesus, uh, early in John, in the first six chapters or so, uh, there's some language like this used as well that, that he talks about as he chooses his men. Right. And um, makes some bold statements about you know no one being able to come to the Father unless the Father draws himself to him. Right. You know? And so those, those kinds of statements... I will say this related to that um, topic specifically, Michael. It is interesting here. He chooses us in him to become something, blameless, holy, to be part of something. And so there's an end game here. It's not just I'm going to pick someone out, but I'm going to choose them to bless them in this specific way. Right. And so I think it changes the way we read this. And I was sharing with someone the other day, um, I think election and predestination are are worth discussing in this context. It doesn't seem like Paul is wrestling through what it means necessarily. Right. He's just, it's not his point in this passage. Mm -hmm. He's acknowledging it as part of the blessing. And so if we're going to let Paul help us interpret this, He's bringing it to the table as something good. Right. And to be embraced. That's good. Now, we've got to figure out, okay, is that an affront to our own logic, our own agency, our free will? That's where we're going to have some incredible community group discussions on this. I can't wait. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So that's one. And then, um, you know, I think the other thing would be, um, you know, that Holy Spirit passage I think you have to navigate, you know, once God puts his spirit in us, does his spirit ever leave us? 
And, you know, just that old question of can someone be in Christ and then lose their salvation? And what's the role of the Spirit to keep us and help us persevere in the faith? Some people will wrestle with with that concept a little bit as well. Right. Um, Am I missing another one? One that you, like a question you might have, Michael, when you look at this, is there one that... Oh no! You might ask. you hit the big ones. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I love how you framed that up for us. Of course, I'm never going to miss a chance to talk about adoption. You know, it's oh, one of my man. favorite yeah. um, biblical themes. Is just our adoption into the family of God, and that that's what we're actually predestined for. And, yes, um, it's to an end. Yeah, just adoption on. His yeah. sons and daughters. To be yeah. part of the family. There's a reason that we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ because we're all part of God's family. And this this opening even is a great reminder of a couple of things. One, what it cost to adopt us. And then two, just the Trinitarian God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus the Son. Yeah. And now we're sealed, kept by the Holy Spirit Um in our adoption, it's it's our inheritance is because we're adopted, and it's guaranteed yeah. by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It's all amazing yeah. how it all fits together. So, yeah, and and we can end with this, Michael. Okay, if you go with that, um, four different times this word praise is used, and three times it's connected to His glory. And so, whatever God does in and through Ephesians, um, through this podcast through the teaching, through the small group, through the men's and women's groups that are studying this, um, Paul reminds us that it's not about us. right? And in blessing the church, he makes it about him. And so we need to know that um, everything that we do over these next 11 weeks, is we're, we're to be reflecting his glory, the weight of who he is, not only to those inside the church, but to a world that needs hope. Mm. And that's something worth studying for worth fighting for with the right spiritual weapons right right and um and so it's going to be a good time yeah this book love it well hey thanks for joining us um on sermon notes and we will pick it up next week um when we begin verse 15 of chapter one so um study it in your bible use your book to help you unlock some of the mysteries and the secrets of it talk about it in your community groups and join us again next time on sermon notes Mm -hmm.